1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of True Crime and Fairy Tales. As always, I am your host, Lauren Ash, And as always, I am joined by my co-hostess with the most S, Christy Oxborough. How you feeling? I could not be more excited to be where I am right now. I feel the same way. Ditto. Ditto. It feels like it's been a while. So, uh, yeah. you know, we just, uh, we're, we were due. We're due, yeah. We're due, hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, it's it's tough because we talk about so many different things on the show, but these fairy tale episodes obviously are rife with a lot of very disturbing details. Yeah, things that you can't unhear or unsee. And so before we start, I just want to, you know, give a warning that some of what I may describe may be disturbing, um, and I, I just, I apologize ahead of time, but I only present the facts as I find them. Of course. And, uh, and I just want to stay as true to the facts as I can. Of course. I mean, they, they know what they're in for. They know this yeah. isn't the kind of thing you, you know, say to a child before bedtime. Exactly. Like this is the real adult stuff here this is the underbelly this is the truth you know what i mean you're we're we're giving the real behind the we're pulling the curtain back yeah if you will um today's episode of the show we are talking about of course the case of bell the beauty portion of beauty and the beast uh and i don't know how much you know about bell i don't know um You know, I know that you're a fan, obviously, but I don't know how much you kind of know about her or her story. She's very elusive. I'll say that to begin with. Oh. Yeah. So it's hard to even find out that much about her. Oh, see, I have been a fan, Um, but I'm a fan from afar, so I don't know a lot. Well, and that's the thing. There's a lot of misconceptions, and that's kind of what I started to discover as I got deeper and deeper into it. So I feel like we should just jump in so I can try and get through as much as possible in a short amount of time. But uh, yeah, like I said, we're going to go on a wild journey. So come with me, uh, take my hand, and let's embark on this episode of True Crime and Fairy Tales: Beauty and the Beast. So there's no official record of her last name, but she did live in a small French village for most of her life called Villeneuve. Um, which would translate to new village very roughly. So many have speculated that she would have been known as Belle de Villeneuve. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. So she was born in France to her father, Maurice, and her unnamed mother. Um, As I said, there was a lot that was very difficult to find, and I dug hard, but I'm going to present everything I could find. They were living in Paris when Belle was an infant. Her mother sadly became infected with the plague, also known as the Black Death at the time. And Yeah. Okay. Like I said, it's going to be a tough listen. Tough listen. Yeah. Um, And she did convince a very reluctant Maurice to evacuate with Belle so that they could avoid getting sick because she knew if they stayed, all three of them would have tragically passed. Wow. Okay. Um, he did not want to go, but eventually the sicker she got, he he did honor her wishes and took Belle. That's when they went to Villeneuve. Uh, and unfortunately she did succumb to the plague, as of course most wow. people did during that time. Now it's said that Maurice remained in grieving about his wife's death throughout the rest of his life, essentially. Oh. Um, he and Belle would draw pictures of her together he never really told Bell what the true cause of her death was. Um, she didn't find out until she was a teen, which we'll get to a little bit later. Um, but it, there was, again, a lot of mystery surrounding the whole thing. And I don't know what that looked like for her as a child. I don't know if she asked questions and he diverted or lied. I don't know. I
0: don't right. know.
1: Wow. But I, yeah, it's, it's interesting because Bell was extremely intelligent and um, Maurice described Belle's mother as being ahead of her time and Belle was very that way. So it feels like she would have maybe had a lot of questions about her mother. And so again, there's a big question mark there about, you know, what did that look like in her childhood, which unfortunately I can't answer, but we will shine a little light in a little bit. Sure. So the feeling was that Belle really did inherit her mother's personality. Um, She's been described as fearless Obviously, Belle uh, was very into books and reading as a child and teen, which was very odd for a girl at that time. Um, It's not exactly clear what the exact year she was born was, but uh, the Black Death reached Paris in 1348. So it would seem to me that this would mean that that was probably the year she was born since she was an infant at the time of her mother's death. Okay, so that's that's what I've come to. Is that right? If that was when it started to come to France, that that would make sense to me. Now, I know it's early in the episode for a reveal. We're only how many uh-huh. minutes? Five minutes in this. Yeah, but I do have one. Oh, so buckle in. Now, Maurice has blue Crazy eyes. Old Maurice. Crazy old Maurice has yeah. blue eyes. Bell's mother. I did manage to see some some photographs of, oh, color photographs. Believe it or not, now this was a magical time, so that's why I'm able to view them. And her eyes are also blue, and I know um, that doesn't seem like that big a deal, but Belle, Belle has brown eyes. Yep, yep. She, and what she does, does that mean? What that means is genetically, it would be improbable for them to be her biological parents. And now we're going to go on a little bit of a science side note. (laughs) Lauren, (laughs) she's a science girl, and she's got more things in the whole wide world. Okay. So when I was in high school, and I'm sure a lot of our (laughs) listeners have probably, or of our age, probably are going to share in this, but I was taught that it would be impossible for two blue-eyed people to have a brown-eyed child. Now, apparently... I've done some research into this over the past week. Apparently, our knowledge of genetics has improved over the past 20 years since I've been in high school. How dare dare science? How dare science improve? And Mm so now Mm -hmm. they're saying that that's not necessarily 100% true. Nonetheless, there is still truth to the remedial genetic knowledge that I happen to possess. So I am going to share what I know. Great and I've made diagrams (laughs) oh baby's first diagrams I'm very proud uh for those of you listening I will make sure to put these on the Patreon um now I don't have a dry erase board so I found a cardboard insert that you get like when you buy a calendar and I've made uh notes on that so Basically, and I've also inverted these, I got very, very excited. So I should start like this. So basically, um, when we're talking about the genetics in in terms of eye color, children inherit one gene from the mother and one gene from the father. So that means that our eye color is represented by a pairing of two genes. So there is a dominant gene and there is a recessive gene in terms to eye color. The dominant gene is represented by a capital letter B because it represents brown and the recessive gene is represented by a lowercase b, because it represents blue. Now, green eyes and hazel eyes are a whole other story, and that is a little above my pay grade. (laughs) But here's the other thing, green eyes and hazel eyes are also exceptionally rare. Only 2% of people have green eyes, and only 5% of people have hazel. And I'd just like to give a shout out that I have green, and Lady Jane there has hazel. So the two of us are rare birds together flying, flying in a very special V. Um, (laughs) that feels so right.
0: Right? So right.
1: Yes. So I'm just going to stick to again, the very remedial science that I know, because there is still some truth to this. So our eye color, as I said, is determined by the pairing of one gene from the mother, one gene from the father. So brown eyes can occur if there is two dominant brown genes or one dominant and one recessive. So two brown eyed people can have a brown eyed child or a brown eyed person and a blue eyed person could have a brown eyed child. And that's why some brown eyed people, two brown eyed people, if they both had the recessive blue gene could have blue eyed children. Of course. Makes sense. Sure. blue, blue eyed people, again, it's the two recessive genes. So the way that this science works. And again, now they are saying that there are cases and it's a little bit more nuanced than that, but it is still rare. Um, it, I'm going to show you using something called a Punnett square. So <laughs> this is a Punnett square. And on the top here, I'm, I'm just going to show you what it looks like. So basically yeah, what it looks like is, so say the mom's at the top here. And this is if, if both the mom and the dad had blue eyes. So we've got, we know that that means that they would both have the two recessive genes because that's the only way the blue eyes are shown. Sure. If these four spots represent their four children, then that means that all four, there's a 100% chance of blue-eyed children. Sure. See? So now, again, you can use this model when you're matching up any kind of combination of like uh, if I want to see what color eyes the children that Keanu Reeves and I would have exactly exactly okay. but you have hazel eyes and again that's a whole other thing so <laughs> we're not even going to get into so She's now a again bitch. as I, <laughs> <laughs> now as I've said um we know that we know now that this is not necessarily 100% true 100% of the time but I didn't have time to learn all about that this week. I did not have time to learn all about genetics this week. However, the vast majority of children born to two blue eyed parents are still going to have blue eyed uh, are still going to have blue eyes. And that is science. So the fact also that I'd like to add into the mix is that Belle bears a striking resemblance to her mother. And I will also post a photo in case you're not familiar with her father, Maurice, but there's not a lick of resemblance between the two of them. Bless both their hearts. I am just saying, and I am only speculating here. Don't come for me. Of course. I think she may have a different biological father, allegedly. Sure. I mean, I will say this for Maurice. He's always good for a laugh. He is. He is. Great, great sense of humor, whether he knows it or not all the time. But I digress. So Belle was 17 and she was having quite a year. Her fellow townspeople in Villeneuve viewed her as strange. She was described as a girl with her head in the clouds who seemed to care very little about the things that the other girls her age did. Now, granted, during this time, women were very hard workers. So I could easily see other women being very jealous, you know, as other girls her age are working, toiling on farms, doing manual labor. And she's just wandering aimlessly through town Reading a book, something other girls weren't even allowed to do. They weren't even allowed to read. So I could see some animosity brewing. And, and to be honest sure. with you, I don't know that I 100% blame them. I think it would probably be a little eye-rolly, if I'm being honest, you know. Sure. During during this time. um, And I'm curious why Belle didn't have to work. Because Maurice, her father, was an inventor. Sure. Which... God bless him. And and he did, you know, make some amazing things. But was that paying the bills? I just, I don't know, like, how much money was he bringing in making, you know, one of his inventions, of course, what an automatic wood cutting machine. Now, yeah. that didn't get it, but it's proper due. And we'll get into that later also. But I just don't know if there was a market for it and how much money he'd be making for those kinds of things. So again, it's just interesting to me that she did not need to work or seemingly do much work around the house. Interesting.
0: Right? I had not
1: really, I hadn't considered, because you're right, uh, anytime I had run into her, uh, she was heading to town to the bookstore. She wasn't going, you know, to get eggs or, well, that's too expensive, but like she wasn't going to get any sort of food or anything, right? Yeah. So, so what's she, yeah. doing? Yeah, what's she doing all her time? Just reading, just having sound of music moments in the hills. Like, again, it's, it's just, she feels like she may have almost been like a kind of like a Kardashian of her time in that she didn't really <laughs> seem to have a real job, you know? Sure. Well, maybe secretly the bookstore had hired her to be an influencer it's just, it didn't work out very well. I think Belle may have been the original influencer. I think you're right. I think maybe they thought, hey, maybe this will get girls interested in reading. And people just were like, oh no, we're not. We have things to do. We have laundry to wash and children to take care of. How dare you? Well, yeah. And if nobody's reading at that point, she's trying to hand them books that don't have pictures. Like, yeah, it's a just tough, tough business model for sure. Yeah. Flawed, flawed at best. The only other thing I'll offer again is she looked a lot like her mother. Like, again, like they could be twins. I'm not saying anything untoward was happening. I am just saying it's interesting that she almost felt, I don't want to use the term kept woman because that's creepy and I'm not implying that at all, but it just felt interesting to me that she wasn't necessarily encouraged to do anything other than read. But sure. Bless. So Bell at the time was being pursued by a local teen named Gaston. It's it said that at the time he was 16, but he was built like a hulking 35-year-old man, so I'm not so sure what the kind of accuracy is there, but all the sure. sources I read said he was 16 at the time. So is that was that interesting. So? That's, yeah. That's shocking at best. Isn't it? isn't it? Yeah. And I don't think they had steroids back then either. So I don't know. Um, Mm. Gaston had a best friend, sidekick, maybe kind of a better label named LeFou, uh, who seemed for sure in love with Gaston, but Gaston didn't really seem to notice. But it was kind of like one of those things with, you know, Gaston was quite comfortable letting LeFou kind of do his bidding. uh, And LeFou was happy to oblige no matter what it was. Kind of a very toxic codependent type relationship. Now, Gaston was the definition of a pure narcissist. And he felt that Belle was the most beautiful girl in town. This is really kind of fitting our influencer, you know, kind of um, profile we're creating. Uh, And so because she was the most beautiful girl in town, he felt that that meant he should marry her because he felt entitled because he felt that he was the most attractive man and the best man. So he should get her, uh, which is super gross and toxic. Of course, He worked as a hunter. He was quite popular among the townspeople, especially the women. Um, At the time, finding a husband to take care of you was a high priority for many women and uh, that could give them a reprieve from their working lives. Uh, as most women didn't want to end up as spinsters on the street, you know, after their fathers died, begging for change to survive. Really, there was a very high motivation for women to couple up. Uh, Women also weren't allowed to hold many jobs. Um, So really, it was kind of like working for your family, kind of tending to the fields or the house or the, you know, children sure. or what have you, uh, or get married and then kind of do it for your own family. Those are kind of the only real options. Um, and at the time, the average lifespan of a female peasant was 25. So wow. 17, which was Belle's age at the time, I'll remind you, it does feel like it was a little old not to be settling down. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to be crass. Of course. But if you know you've only got eight good years left. I mean, oh. and listen, people have different goals. So if she yeah. didn't want to get married at all, I respect that. I'm just merely speaking to why people really did probably go like, what is with this gal who doesn't have a job, doesn't, you know, have to do laundry or work fields or anything. She's allowed to read, which no other women are. And she doesn't want to get married. And she's only got eight years left. You know, I could, yeah. I'm just saying, I could see why this would cause quite a stir. I'm not sure. sure. Especially her. in a small town. Yeah. Exactly. Um, for the record, the average lifespan for a male peasant at that time was 30. Middle ages lifespan, side note. So okay. the, the biggest hurdle for a man during the middle ages to live a healthy life was actually making it through early childhood. In the 13th century, if a boy could make it to age 20, he would probably make it to 45. Wow. And if Yeah. And if he made it to age 30, he had a very good chance of making it into his fifties, but many didn't. Uh, the main threats in early childhood were that children's immune systems struggled with the disease riddled environment that they all lived in at that time. There was no sanitation, which meant that the germs that we live with today and easily deal with lived everywhere. Um, everyone, 85 to 90% of the population at the time lived in the countryside with thatch roofed houses. Sure. And those attracted insects and rodents, which carried bacteria, which they deposited either actually onto the humans themselves, like through the roof or onto the food the humans were eating. So disease passed extremely easily. There was also no plumbing. So human waste was deposited outside, but it wasn't deposited super far from the home. Um, and so, you know, the biggest killers of that time were bread because of the waste problem. Um, and those killers were cholera and typhoid. Meanwhile, typhus was also spread by body lice living on infected people. So basically, there was just so many diseases to contract that children, sure. again, their immune systems not being strong. Um, it was difficult to kind of get through childhood at all. Additionally, young men often were involved, obviously, in manual labor, and that there was a huge risk in getting injured and killed during an accident at work. So again, all things considered, 30 was the average age for males. Now, for women, it was different. Childhood wasn't the biggest issue for women, which is interesting. And I wonder if that's because little boys were encouraged to go outside and like play in the dirt the dirt being rife with disease. Sure. That's my own speculation. Of course. Um, but the biggest, obviously the biggest hurdle for women is getting past childbearing age. So on oh. average, women had a 10% better chance of surviving their first 10 years than men. But between the ages of 14 and 40, the, the you know childbearing ages, a woman's life expectancy was literally half that of a man's. The reason mainly being, of course that having babies in the middle ages was actually considered more dangerous than going to war statistically so childbirth oh. was so unsanitary at the time that it put the mothers at risk of fatal infections complications in birth were frequently fatal um midwives did exist but they had little medical knowledge and their hygiene was poor because they didn't know any better and male doctors the only doctors because women weren't allowed, um, refused to look at female genitals. But they also refused to train female doctors, and they also refused to train midwives. So what I took away was that it's miraculous that humankind managed to survive at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now, women did take the lead by 10% in life expectancy after the age of 40, but very few made it that far, which is why, again, the average age for women was 25, the average death age. Other death factors at the time included, you really could catch your death of cold. Pneumonia was not uncommon. Food storage was primitive. There was no refrigeration except in winter. People had also developed a tolerance for food to taste slightly rancid. So because there was a general shortage of food, people would literally roll the dice and just be like, hope this rancid food isn't rancid enough to kill me. Oh, <laughs> boy. Just, yeah, always a gamble. Um, then, of mm-hmm. course, leprosy. Uh, and then finally, mm-hmm. that pesky bubonic, bubonic plague. Those were the, the killers going on at the time. Now, wow. of course, you know there was no environmental risks like there are now because there was no pollution. Um, cancer was only a disease of the elderly at the time, and there were very few elderly at the time um so mostly they just it was kind of like hospice care and people prayed for them that was really all they did for for those people um right. unsurprisingly heart disease now the biggest killer in the developed world unheard of at the time but again that's because they were you know not eating sure. the way we eat, we all eat now um noblemen at the time were the most successful at keeping themselves clean because they surrounded themselves with well scrubbed servants They knew that people needed to be clean for good health, but they didn't know why they didn't understand the science behind it. Um, So obviously noblemen, they had more time to, and access to, you know, bathing and making sure everyone around them was bathing. Uh, But of course their pastimes of hunting and warfare also affected their life expectancy, but I digress. So Bell's father, Maurice, was considered an eccentric by many and a crackpot by the rest, and he had invented an automatic wood chopper that he had taken to showcase at a market kind of in the, in the big city, I guess. It was, it was a ways away. It was kind of hard to understand how far he had to go, but he set off with his horse, Philippe, and told Bell that he would see her the next day. On his way out of town, a huge storm hit. He gets lost, so he seeks refuge in the only building nearby, a castle. Big mistake. The castle was owned by someone called the Beast, a giant werewolf man with an anger problem who immediately throws Maurice in his dungeon for trespassing. So what's the story with this Beast character? Well, I'll tell you. Beast is actually a prince. Now there is much speculation about his name. Many think his name is actually Prince Adam, but then many argue that that is not true. There's no firm confirmation one way or the other but it has been documented by some reputable sources, so I'm going to err on the side of saying it is, but again, it's very controversial. Sure. While most of his life remains mysterious, it is known that Prince Adam's mother died of an illness when he was a boy, leaving his very cruel, vain, self-centered, and arrogant father to raise him. His harsh upbringing caused him to also adopt a cruel nature, and he taxed the villagers of his kingdom unjustly. Ten years prior to this incident with Maurice... The prince was hosting a debutante ball at his castle when a beggar woman appeared at his castle and offered a single rose as a payment for shelter from an oncoming storm. The prince turned her away twice, prompting the beggar woman to reveal herself to actually be an enchantress. The enchantress placed a powerful spell upon the entire kingdom, turning Prince Adam into this beast, the servants of the castle into animated household objects, while also wiping the memory of the castle from the nearby village's inhabitants. So that's why nobody seems to know that it's in the woods, which I didn't uh, know that was a thing. So the deal was that if the beast was unable to love another and earn that person's love in return by the time the last petal on this enchanted rose fell, which would be on his 21st birthday, he would remain a beast forever. And in addition, his servants would become inanimate objects forever. So he would be left with... Not objects that speak anymore, but just furniture, basically. Sure. So it's unclear what exactly happened to his father. There is a theory floating around that Prince Adam and his mother were a secret family of his father's, who perhaps had a different family elsewhere, and that after the mother died, it's possible he left Prince Adam in the care of nannies, which, while that seems impossible... There was no internet back then. There were no phones. If he lived a far enough distance away, it's possible he could tell his other wife, I'm off on a crusade. I'll be back in three years, right? Like that wasn't sure. out of her. That wasn't crazy. There's also the possibility he could have been in cahoots with the Enchantress wanting to teach Adam a lesson for some way. Mm. There's also the possibility he just wanted an easy way out of that life because he decided I've had enough of this one. I want back to the other one. Again, these are all theories, all speculations, nothing firm. Now, before we keep going, let's take a quick break, grab another drink, hit the can, and we're going to be right back with more about Belle on this episode of True Crime and Fairy Tales.
0: Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media.
1: Welcome back to the show. Before the break, we were talking about Prince Adam, a.k.a. the Beast, and his potential origin stories. But for now, let's get back to the story of Belle. Maurice's horse, Philippe, returns back to Villeneuve to alert Belle to what's happening. She knows something is up as soon as she sees him, so she rides Philippe back to Beast's castle, where she discovers her father, Maurice, in the dungeon. He's clearly not doing well. I mean, he's already got a cough. It's... Oh imminent. I mean, pneumonia is just a, I'm sure it's just a whisper away. Right. The beast finds her and then agrees to let Maurice leave in return for Belle taking his place for the rest of her life. And I have a lot of questions about that. I'm just like, why did you want to, like, what did you get out of any of this? Like, what were you getting out of keeping this old man there? And then why? It just felt, it's odd to me that it, that you wanted to keep a human prisoner I I don't know. There is I mean maybe he's just trying to do what he thinks his cruel father would have done. Mm. I mean, it's tough to say. I mean, thinking is a dangerous pastime. So that's what yeah, I mean that's what people would say then for sure. For sure for mm-hmm. sure. So at first, Belle is very distraught with her situation, but she soon befriends the castle's servants. Uh, The ones that she becomes the closest to are Lumiere, the candelabra, who is the castle's footman and maitre d', Cogsworth, the clock, who is the beast's major domo, which means he is the most powerful figure in the castle, second only to the beast himself. He is not a butler. A butler is a manservant having charge of wines and liquors, while a major domo is the head servant or official. So you learn something every day. Well, I like that. Mrs. Potts, uh, the teapot, was the head housekeeper of the castle and her son, Chip, of course, was the teacup. Uh, They were all very excited to see someone new in the house and to have someone new to entertain. They served her a dinner through a song. However, I've got to say, I don't believe that their intentions with Belle were altruistic because they knew about the enchantress's spell and that time was running out for the beast to fall in love. Um, And this is the first time I feel like they've had a, human woman in there in in God knows how long. And so I just feel like they were like, we just have to do everything we can to try and get her to be with the beast so we can become humans again and not become f- to charm furniture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think if they had cared about her well-being, they would have helped her escape. My two cents. Uh don't come for me. Um now the beast is then told Belle she can go anywhere she wants in the castle. So again I'm like it's odd to me she's a prisoner, but anyway, that's a that's a question I'll never understand. But the one thing he says is she'd never go into the West Wing. Obviously, she goes into the West Wing. Uh, that's where she finds the enchanted rose from the enchantress. The beast finds her. He's super pissed. He blows up and angrily forces her to flee the castle. In the woods, she's ambushed by a pack of wolves. But of course, the beast rescues her. He actually gets injured in the process of rescuing her. Uh, They go back to the castle, and as Bell nurses his injuries, a rapport starts to develop between them, and as time passes, they begin to fall in love, which brings me to my official diagnosis for Bell, which is, of course, Stockholm Syndrome. Now, for those who don't know, Stockholm Syndrome is a psychological response. It occurs when hostages or abuse victims bond with their captors or abusers. The psychological connection develops over the course of days, weeks, months, or even years of captivity or abuse. Uh, Victims may come to sympathize with their captors, which is the opposite of the fear, terror, and disdain that might be expected in those situations. But um, they may even start to feel like they share common goals with their captors. Uh, They may start to feel negative things towards the police. Uh, They may resent people who could be trying to help them. Um, It doesn't happen with every hostage or victim, obviously, and it's unclear to experts why it happens at all. But. Um, It is considered a coping mechanism for some people who become traumatized in these situations. So this has probably happened since the beginning of time, but the name came from an incident that happened in 1973 uh, when two men were held four people hostage for six days after a bank robbery in Stockholm, Stockholm, Sweden. Sure. So after the hostages were released, they refused to testify against their captors, and they even began raising money for their defense. After that, psychologists and mental health experts assigned the term Stockholm Syndrome to the condition, um, which is as I've just described. Now, here's the interesting thing, though. It is not recognized by the new edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. So that's the manual that's used by mental health experts to diagnose mental health disorders. And it's actually not in there, which is so interesting to me because it's well known, but sure, not recognized for whatever reason. So, um, you know, the most high profile example of this, of course, is Patty Hearst. Sure. Right. Who was kidnapped in 1974 by the Symbionese Liberation Army. Uh, During her captivity, she renounced her family, adopted a new name. She even joined in with the SLA and robbing banks. Later, when she was arrested and she used Stockholm Syndrome as a defense in her trial, the defense did not work, and she did end up getting sentenced to 35 years in prison, which is interesting. Wow. Yeah. Now, while Stockholm Syndrome is commonly associated with a hostage or kidnapping situation, it can actually apply to several other circumstances and relationships Examples of that, of course, are abusive relationships, child abuse, sex trafficking. Um, those things all make sense. Obviously, sure. you know, you're in those situations and the brain does what it has to do to try and deal with the trauma that the, the person is experiencing. But the other one I thought was really interesting was that it's seen in sports coaching. So huh. sometimes... The relationship between a coach and a player can be abusive right or harsh of and the athlete may start to tell themselves that 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 kind of negative um uh, you know attention from the coach is for their own good and then that can become considered stockholm syndrome sure. which i thought was really interesting wow so the bottom line is, Beast is keeping her against her will. He wasn't nice to her. And then because he saved her from some wolves, she just started to, she started to develop some kind feelings towards him. And spoiler alert, uh, she also starts to get invested. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Which we'll get to in a second. Um, is it possible, and forgive me if I'm stepping on any toes. No. Um, I know I might have this, it may go more the other way. Is there any potential, like Florence Nightingale syndrome... I think that's more when the patient falls for the nurse, but the nurse falling for the patient while they're caring for them. I mean, it's possible. Well, you know, that's interesting. I think that that's, I think that that's absolutely true. I'm not sure because I think you're right. I think typically that is the patient falling for the, the caregiver, right? but I wonder if there is something where it is the other way too, where it is the caregiver falling for the patient it, that must exist. And it must I wonder if that was part of it for him. I think that that might've been part of it for him because I yeah. do think that he probably viewed her as like a means to an end for a while. But then I also think that during that time, mm-hmm. they did start to have an en- an enmeshment form, which I will say, I don't think was hundred percent healthy. I think again, it, it sure. was kind of based in this. Well, I mean, it can't be healthy if he's forcing her to stay against her will and then you know, it's blossoming into a romance. I just don't think that's any way to start a relationship. Yeah, it's, it's hard to believe that there's just something there that wasn't there before. That is hard to believe, yeah. I mean, it's a tale as old as time, but the song as old as rhyme, but that doesn't make yeah. it right. It's true, yeah. it's true. So the Beast shows Belle a magical book around this time that was given to him by the enchantress and it's able to transport any human anywhere in the world simply by the person thinking about it but because the beast is no longer a human he he can't control the book like he can't do the magic um so he's left to look at a world that he can no longer experience is is the point like he's stuck in this castle So he tells her to place his hand on its pages and wish to be somewhere else. She closes her eyes and chooses her childhood home in Paris. Soon they begin exploring her home from when she was a baby. And there she discovers a plague doctor's mask and realizes that she and her father were forced to leave when her mother succumbed to the bubonic plague. So the only reason why she even figured out what was happening Right was because of this magic book of the beasts, which wow. I'm also hey. going to say, you know, I don't think that that's going to help the Stockholm syndrome because no. now he's also opened her eyes to this huge question mark from her childhood that her father had never told her the truth about. So now I feel like that's, that's making her feel reliant on the beast even more, you know? of course he's offering her the adventure in the great wide somewhere that she always wanted and exactly the answers the, yeah. the 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 true kind of period to the end of the sentence which actually starts the rest of the book right you know yeah wow yeah huh. so Meanwhile, Maurice has returned back to Villeneuve to get help for Belle, but he fails to convince the townsfolk that she's actually in danger. Because of his crackpot reputation, that's their word, not mine, obviously, he was easily dismissed. Hearing Maurice's statements about the beast, Gaston hatches a plan and bribes Monsieur d'Arc, the warden of the town's insane asylum. That was, again, what the term that they used then. We obviously wouldn't use that now. To have Maurice locked up as a lunatic. Again, these are all of their terms, not mine. Now, and this is the really sick thing because Gaston basically figured that if he was able to lock Maurice up, she would have no one to support her. So then she would have no choice but to marry him. Mm. So we're already coming in so abusive and toxic to that. Gaston is an actual legit narcissist. Side note. (laughs) Okay. Narcissistic personality disorder or narcissism is diagnosed using, as I mentioned before, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders DSM-5 criteria. A person must meet five of the nine following traits in order to get a diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder. Number one, a grandiose sense of self-importance. Oh, well. I mean, Gaston literally sings a song outlining how amazing he is. Yeah. And forces others to join him. Yeah, as if anybody cares to know how many eggs he eats, you know, to get large. And it's just, nobody cares, Gaston. No, and also they're aging you because if you're 16, Gaston, you look like you're on the wrong side of 45. (laughs) <laughs> great call sorry on that. Yeah. yeah sorry number two preoccupation with fantasies of unlimited success power brilliance beauty or ideal love uh okay mm-hmm. um his obsession with having belle that checks yeah. that box number three belief that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood by or should associate with other special or high status people or institutions Again, he believes Belle's the best and he deserves the best and that's it. Yeah, it's she's the most beautiful. He's the most beautiful. They have to be together because she's the best. If you don't have the best, then why bother? Why bother? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, Requires excessive admiration. Again,
0: he Mm. loves
1: having all of the other gals in town pay lots of attention to him, even though he has no intention of ever actually, you know, kind of trying to yeah. date them. Um, right. Number five, he has a sense of entitlement. Again, we've been through that. Yeah. Six, is interpersonally exploitative, takes advantage of others. LeFou, his of best course. friend? Yeah. I mean, that checks that box. Number seven, lacks empathy. Uh, I would say putting Bell's dad in a mental ward to get what he wants would say he lacks empathy. Number eight... <sighs> envies others or believes others are envious of him. He, he, all, all he talks about is how he thinks that people envy him. And number nine shows arrogant, haughty behaviors and attitudes. Again, he, now here's the thing. You only need five of the nine to get an official diagnosis as having NPD, which is narcissistic personality disorder. And he has nine out of nine. So I don't know if there's such a thing as a mega narcissist. And I tried to dig into like, what if the person has all of them? And I couldn't really find, and there's different kinds of comorbidities where you can be a malignant narcissist and there's, there's different things at play. I don't think that that's him. Um, But if there is, again, like if you want to talk about somebody who is the poster child for a pure narcissistic personality disorder, it is Gaston. That is just fact in my, I don't even think I have oh. to say speculation. Oh no, that's fact. He outright, I believe was quoted as saying, I'm the best and don't I deserve the best. Exactly. Like, too much. Too, much. too much. Too much. Um, it's also important to note that, and this is the dark side of this for a second, because narcissists feel a sense of entitlement to anything they want, it sometimes makes it easier for them to rationalize their aggressive and sometimes illegal behaviors. Now, I also should say, I'm not painting this brush on everyone who has NPD whatsoever, but I'm talking right now about somebody who has nine out of nine traits. So I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't bring up this point, which is there have been studies done. I read one of them that has found that men- that have high characteristics of pathological narcissism are found to be more likely to commit sex crimes and serial killers inevitably do rank as again, very high level narcissists who of course also end up being uh, identified as sociopaths or psychopaths. Now, as I said, not all narcissists commit crimes. I am not suggesting that at all. They're not all bad people at all, at all. However, I just feel that it's important to note that Gaston again checking all those boxes, I feel like he could have gone on to commit a very serious crime and i'll and I mean, and, and that being actually you know what i'm I'm jumping ahead because he does go on to commit a very serious crime before the end of of the story um but I guess what I'm trying to say is is thank goodness um you know, things go the way they do, because I think that left to his own devices, it could have been, we could have been having a very, we could be covering this case on the normal podcast. You know what I'm saying? Not to be dark, but just saying. It's true. I trust your psychologist at, thank you for anything else. Thank you very much. So before Gaston could have Maurice committed, Maurice manages to get away to try and attempt a rescue of Bell on his own. After sharing a romantic dance with the beast, because I think they're just like fully into each other at this point, uh, Belle, uh, the beast shows Belle that he also has this magic mirror where he can look and see anybody in the world. Um, And so she uses it to check on her father and sees him collapsing in the woods. Again, my gut is telling me pneumonia. There is something going on there. He's got a lung infection. Um, The beast releases Belle to go to save Maurice uh, and he gives her the mirror. It's hard to know whether that's like to help her navigate or as a souvenir. I don't know. Um, many would say that him releasing her was like an act of love. But I also I'm like, he also could have helped her like he could have gone to the woods to help her find her dad. Wouldn't that have also well, been an act of love? Especially because he already knows that there are wolves in the woods. Yeah. He knows the dangers of the woods. He could have. You're right. And I do think there's something that he's only allowed to go so far. I think part of the spell is that he can't leave, like, a certain jurisdiction. I could be wrong on that, but I think that's part of it. But still, like, he could have ventured out as far as he could go.
0: But Maybe he was waiting
1: for her to tell, like, to ask for him to go. Oh, yeah. That sounds like it's totally his style, for sure. I want you to want me kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So Belle finds Maurice, gets him back to Villeneuve. And then as that's happening, a band of villagers led by Gaston arrive to detain Maurice. And Belle uses the magic mirror to show all the townspeople the beast to prove that her dad isn't mentally impaired. Of course. So then... Gaston realizes that Belle has fallen in love with the beast and flies into like a jealous rage. So he has Belle and Maurice locked in a basement and then rallies the angry townsfolk to come with him to go to the castle to murder the beast. Right. And what I love is that just the crowd mentality takes over the mob mentality the mob mentality. They're just like, yep, we're going to go do a killing. Which is just, I mean, ugh, it's so sad But, however, unknown to Belle, Chip, the teacup, had been a stowaway on her journey back to the village, and he sprung into action in this moment because he's so little, he overheard everything. And he manages to start up Maurice's wood chopping machine to break through the door to the basement and allow Maurice and Belle to escape to get back to the castle to try and warn the beast of what's happening. Right. Now, the villagers obviously had a head start. They approach the castle with their torches and their pitchforks. They're literally an angry mob at this point. They're chanting, kill the beast. It, all, it was just very, I mean, a little over the top to me. It's like, is this just the, all you guys had going on? Like, is that what it is? I mean, I guess maybe at the time. Um, but a battle ensues. They just, they just attack the castle. And during the battle, Gaston just abandons Lefouk. Big surprise. Of course. Who then sides with the beast servants to fend off the villagers. So suddenly he's just gone to the other side, which was weird. Like he's just flippy flopping. Okay. Right. Um, then Gaston attacks Beast in his tower because Beast is so depressed because Belle left that he just doesn't even care to try. Like he just lets Gaston beat him up. To which I say, yawn. Sure. Grow up really yeah like I, like hashtag codependent you know what i'm saying like which which feeds into what you're saying what your theory is that he's like well i can't believe she i told her to go but i can't believe she left yeah and not to mention um yours isn't the only life on the line your entire cast everyone of who lives there yeah there's women and children yep i mean You need to step up. And also, I'm curious now about whether or not he wasn't allowed to leave a certain area because how was Chip able to leave? How was Chip able to get all the way back to the village if the beast can't? They're under the same spell, aren't they? You would think so. I mean, I don't know if it's different for him because the spell is specifically on, it was put onto the beast, whereas maybe everyone else is allowed to go elsewhere. I don't know. Or... Maybe it's just something he says so he doesn't have to go anywhere. Right. You know, so he can stay in his safety net. And be like, are you going to leave me still? Yeah. (sighs) Because he's he's a large creature, but there's still like a warm, mushy inside. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. So, as I said, Gaston starts to attack him. The beast does not fight back. But then, coming from the distance, the beast sees Belle and Maurice coming, and at the sight of Belle, like, she came back for me, he decides to start to give a shit and fight back. Of course. Which, again, it just feels, to me, again, it's like, I, I get it, you, you you know, your window is closing on this spell, you're despondent, I get it. Sure. But then again, that also feels like, are you sad that bell specifically is gone or are you just sad that your meal ticket is that gone? your chance is gone? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point, but like right? you also, you can't truly love someone until you love yourself. Well, and also you got to let it go. Cause if it really loves you, it'll come back. Well, what's that say about the fact that she did come back? What it says is that the Stockholm syndrome is deep in that one. (laughs) That is a good point. That's a good point. (laughs) So the beast manages to defeat Gaston after all, but spares Gaston's life. I think, you know, in the moment, he's just like, I'm not going to kill you. You know, he doesn't have it in him or whatever. And he reunites with Belle. But Gaston is not as altruistic and he fatally stabs beast with a knife. Just kills him. Cold blood, just as he does, as, as Gaston does that. However, Gaston falls from the ledge of the castle and does plummet to his own death. And look, I'm not trying to rejoice in anyone's death, obviously, no. but but I I just think that man, I uh, like again, we are to believe he was 16 at the time. We all know that serial killers have a common thread and that's that they start by killing animals animals and that's what he did that day that's a great point so what's next am i saying that i think there is a high probability that gaston could have gone on to be you know a ted bundy yeah i am good looking you know oh Victims would let their guard down. And, you know, there's sometimes the common thread, too, where if he had to live with actual rejection from Bell, what would that have done long term? Could that have made him snap? Oh, yeah. How many stories do we see where it starts with a man that can't handle rejection? Yeah. Well, listen, listen. Uh, I think was the Grim Sleeper. I think one of those, um, one of the women who survived, the f- the few survivors talked about how when he was attempting to kill her, he was talking to this other woman, this elusive first wife of his or whatever. Right. right that we could never find any information about. Again, you know, is it, is it one of those things where something snaps and then that becomes, you know, part of the process for some killers? I think it could right i think it could so gaston has fallen to his death the beast dies he dies in Belle's arms just as the last petal of that enchanted rose falls off in that moment all of the servants in the castle just have this look of resignation on their faces that looks like when jeff daniels sees that he's tripped the bomb wire in speed oh i hate that moment Because he knows. He knows. And he knows it's too late. He knows he can't yell. He doesn't want to tell anybody else. He goes, he just has to swallow it. He can't move. He won't be able to get out of the radius in time. Yep. He just braces. Yeah. Yeah. So they all brace. But in that moment, Belle tearfully professes her love for the beast. And the spell is undone. The beast is revived and he is restored to his human Prince Adam form along with all of his servants from the castle. Right. The prince and bell later host a celebratory ball for the kingdom where they dance happily. I do need to note there were documented periods of time after this that Prince Adam was seen presenting as the beast again. Okay. Interesting. I am not sure whether he had the power to go back and forth. Um, I am not sure if maybe Bell requested a switchback because from the images I've seen, it kind yeah. of felt like your boyfriend going from being Jason Momoa to Owen Wilson. Yeah. And yes, that is accurate. You know, I could see her being like, "I'd be cool if you wanted to transform back, potentially. Oh, I could totally see it in like a role play situation. Yeah. I could see it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, he I think we we're all surprised to see the photos. You you expect yeah. You know, you know maybe Gaston wasn't everybody's cup of tea, but I don't know anyone who would have chosen Prince Adam over anyone else <laughs>
0: you yeah
1: know? well and also Gaston was a bad boy but I guess the beast was a bad <laughs> boy too at the end of the day I mean he also was you know again these are all very toxic men at the end of the day if you ask me like now I don't know also when he transforms into a human does that just get rid of all of his toxicity like all of a sudden is he not codependent did he not hold her against her will did those things just vapor evaporate I would say no. I don't know that this is a healthy relationship to pursue for Belle. I mean, in human form, he did deny the Enchantress, you know, a safe place from a storm. And some would say, you know, in the 10 years since that, he must have learned something. Sure. You know, he's but But he's only 21 at this point. You know, I guess what I'm also saying is, you know, at the beginning of this, we talked about the fact that Belle was like, I don't want to get married. Or it seemed as though of course. that was not the path for her. And then all of yeah. a sudden that just goes out the window for a guy that, you know, was her kidnapper. Who essentially was Teen Wolf. Yeah. And I mean, no Jason Bateman. Or Michael J. Fox. Thank you. Either or, you know. What was that? Blanche likes a fairy tale. There you go. Do you know um, what I'm saying? I just yeah. feel like, you know, the one thing for me when I kind of walked away from this one was, I do worry at the end of the day that no one stepped in after the fact and said, like, are you sure you want to be with this guy? The guy who kidnapped your father, put him in a dungeon, even though he was showing signs of a, you know, bronchitis, pneumonia type infection. Then yeah. he kept you against your will, you know, all of these things you're just willing to forgive and you suddenly want to spend a life with this person, you know, is this, do you want to take a step back? Maybe, maybe don't move into the castle right away, but it feels like, again, I'm just worried about her kind of losing who she is. And I know that, that, you know, there was a beautiful library there and, and the beast respected that she liked to read and all of those things, but. Sure. I, I, I wasn't able to find a lot about what happened after the fact. And I really hope that they got into couples therapy. I really hope they got into individual therapy. They had gone through a lot. He had been through a trauma too. Certainly, you know, that's not an easy thing to get through magic. You know, having your life controlled by magic for a decade is something you probably need to unpack with a licensed professional. Oh, absolutely. I, and to your point, I just can't believe that her own father, who was the first person to be a victim of the beast, was just like, you know, he was willing to like mentally let it all go and say, you want to be with him? Be my guest. Um, But I just can't believe he was okay with that. Like to, to be taken, you're in the woods, you're scared, you're alone, you get taken and then put into a, a dungeon? Like, that's something Maurice isn't going to forget. He shouldn't. But, he shouldn't. Oof. Reporting for True Crime and Fairy Tales, I'm Lauren Ash. I, I mean, I think you had... I don't know if you had me from the science side note or when you brought out the diagram the Punnett square. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, your, your research knows no bounds. Thank you. I so much. I mean, if I had more questions, I'd ask the dishes, but I have no more because you were just on top of it. Thank you. Well, if I learned anything from the dishes in my research, it's always to try the gray stuff because it is delicious. I've heard. I just, I don't think that I could. It looks off-putting for sure. Yes. And I can't tell if it's a color I want to put in my mouth. (laughs) I can't tell if it's a, if it's sweet or savory. I can't tell if it's on a cracker or a cookie. I don't know, but apparently it's good. So. And who's taste testing all of this? Well, and again, what are the taste buds like on like the fork that's dancing around? I don't know. Oh, yeah. What's what do things taste like to an ottoman? You know, like probably probably all the same. I think you would so. Think? I think so. Again, there are so many more victims in the case. Oh, yeah. you think countless victims countless victims and that's the other thing too i mean i think the last thing i'll say is is that i get this enchant- enchantress teaching prince adam a lesson but those innocent people who spent their lives already serving this prince all re- who was a terror then they yeah. have to have their lives turned upside down by being turned into random household objects that doesn't feel just You know, it feels like that's... And I know that maybe that was supposed to be part of his cross to bear, but to that I say, I mean, I guess that's medieval-style torture because it feels really uh, overwhelming to think about. Just the innocence. The innocence of those people. Little little Chip. Little Chip. Think about that. He would have been one year old when he was transformed into a teacup. This enchantress was going after... Babies and transforming them into dinnerware. I can't get behind that. Yeah, I understand trying to teach the lesson, but she went too far. She went too far. I mean, again, you know, like, it's one thing to target the adults. That's one thing. Sure. But turning that sweet baby that never did anything to anybody into a teacup and he had to live that way for 10 years of his life. I, I hope that enchantress has sought help. I really do. And if she's listening because she's timeless and still alive, of course, I would encourage her first of all, to please not seek putting any sort of spell on me. And secondly, I would just say, look inward, look inward. It all starts with yourself. It has to. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of True Crime and Fairy Tales. Of course, a Patreon exclusive. Uh, We so appreciate all of you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the show. Who knows what we're going to talk about on the next True Crime and Fairy Tales. um, But we know it's going to be easily as devastating, as truthful, And as hard to hear as this. Yes, it's always a sordid tale on True Crime and Fairy Tales. But in terms of next week on True Crime and Cocktails, we're gonna be covering the case of Tamala. Horsford. This, of course, was our November patrons poll pick. If you would like to learn more about Patreon, where, of course, this episode of True Crime and Fairy Tales originally aired, check us out. Patreon.com slash True and Cocktails. It is a subscription-based service. We have bonus episodes. We have polls, like next week's episode, where you can help choose what we cover on the show. And, of course, we do monthly live Q&As that border Three and a half hours. They are so much fun. The highlights of our months. And we really do enjoy getting to connect with all of you, our dear True Crew. So again, check that out if you'd like to learn more. If you haven't already, give us a follow on social media. On Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at True Crime and Cocktails. On Twitter, at Not Detectives. And if you're looking for True Crime and Cocktails official merch, the only place to find it, truecrewmerch.com we hope you enjoyed this episode of the show and we can't wait to see you next week again for Tamala Horsford Christy's not here because I'm recording this in post so I guess on her behalf I'll say goodnight Dave Crow.